It's a pleasure to be with you, and I feel like it's been a little while since I've uh, been here and seen you all. I was on vacation uh, last week, uh, or the week before, and and it was our first real vacation in about two years. Um, uh, the last time we went on a vacation was, I think, two weeks before I started here. So it was, it was wonderful, and it was needed, and it was a great time that we got to spend together as a family. It was not restful. Disney is not a restful vacation, but it, it was a great time and a very memorable vacation as well. But we are going to be taking a, a quick break from our regularly scheduled sermon series this week and turning our attention to the topic of thankfulness. So if you would bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer, and let's ask the Lord to bless this time that we have together. Father, we do come before you this morning in worship, praise, and thankfulness. As we open your word, would you speak to our hearts? Would you strengthen our faith? For those who may be here who don't know you, would you, would the gospel pierce the hard hearts and Christ be exalted and made clear that he is the Lord of all? I pray that you would keep me from error, that I would decrease, that Christ would increase. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. So this morning, I would like to begin by asking you a question. When is the last time that you can remember where you were overwhelmed, just simply overwhelmed with thankfulness and gratitude? And I don't know if you realize this, but Thanksgiving is just a little over a week away, and then Christmas comes right after that. It's this time of year that is commonly focused on thankfulness and gratitude. But for me, when I asked myself this question of when was the last time I was so overwhelmed with thankfulness and gratitude, it was just a little bit over a week ago. So we, like I said, we were on vacation and we had a great time. We, we went through SeaTac uh, and got on our plane, flew down to California, went to Disney, very grateful for that time. But it was really on the way back that I was filled with this overwhelming sensation of thankfulness and gratitude where we get to the airport in California, and we're going through our security checkpoints and all that, and I go through, and I'm putting on my shoes, and they stop me. And they ask me about my laptop bag and if there was anything sharp or dangerous inside there. I think, I think my keys are in there. I don't know about if those would be considered, but I said, I think the keys are in there. And so they you know, open it up, and they pull out a fully loaded pistol magazine from my bag that I had forgotten to take out. But here is the interesting part. We were coming home. <laughs> it made it through Seattle security just fine. Robert wasn't working. <laughs> he would have caught that immediately, I'm sure. But we made it all the way there, and my heart sank. And I thought for sure I was going to prison. It is California. Or I was put on some terrorist watch list and I will never be able to fly again. But luckily, and thankfully, the TSA agents who were working with me were gun people. <laughs> and they were asking me, what kind of gun is it? They were just kind of making conversation. And then they said the most comforting words I've heard in a long time. This happens a lot more often than you might think it does. We have a bin in the back for ammo. <laughs> So the sheriff usually just comes and picks up the ammo, and as long as I checked my carry-on bag with the magazine in it, I got to keep my magazine too. So everything worked out the way it should 
have worked out. And I was very thankful for it. I was overwhelmed with thankfulness that our flight wasn't delayed because of me. I got to come home. I, I am not a felon as far as I know. And so here I am. So as I was preparing for this morning, I was drawn to Psalm 118, which we just read a moment ago. And if we are Christians, we are to be overwhelmed with thankfulness and gratitude because we have so much to be thankful for, and we have so much in our life that we are to be grateful for. And I mean a type of thanks, like what I experienced, that overwhelms us to actually recognize the, what God has done in our life compared to who we are as sinners and see the goodness of God and to give him thanks in that. Um, our, it takes our attention off of everything else and instead places it upon God who is the one who gives all good gifts. But it's not just God's gifts to us that should spark us in us the spirit of thankfulness. But God himself, his character, his attributes, his nature, who he is. This psalm lays the foundation for this first line. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. It doesn't tell us to give thanks to God because he gives us good things but simply that we are to give thanks to God because he is good. The God we worship is good. It's part of who he is. So whether we, we receive anything from him or not, and we do, but we are still called to give thanks to our Lord. Spurgeon says this, that those who only praise God because he does them good should rise to a higher note and give thanks to him simply because he is good. If calamity only fell upon me, there would still be a reason to thank God. But just the fact that we are here right now, that God has not given us what our sins so rightly deserve, should cause us to be thankful. The next line that follows is, For his steadfast love endures forever. This gives the idea that some translations translate the word we see here as steadfast as mercy. God's goodness is everlasting, his love is everlasting, and his mercy is everlasting. And while there are countless things to bring to our attention this morning concerning our thankfulness towards God, I would like to focus our attention on three of those things. God's revelation, God's provision for us, and then his salvation for us. God's revelation. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, but if you have them with you, turn to Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll be reading in verses 1 and 2. It says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom all he created the world. So long ago, God did indeed speak in many different ways. He spoke directly to the prophets and to the other great men of faith, like Abraham, Moses, and David. He also spoke in that still, small voice to uh, the prophet, and then he also spoke through the mouth of the donkey at one point. God spoke in writing as well as God wrote the two tablets of testimony with his own finger, the Bible says in Exodus 31.18. 
So there were different ways that God spoke in the past. But in these last days, the author of Hebrews says, he has spoken to us by his son. And we have a book at home that we bought for our little girls. And this particular book just kind of has pictures in it and then just a basic biblical truth, a basic sentence about biblical truth. And the first page of the book, it just simply says, when we read the Bible, we learn who God is. God's revelation, the Word of God, our Bibles, tell us who God is. God didn't just create us and leave us to guess on how we may please or worship Him. He is not a God who just created everything and then stepped back and away and left us to the chaos of our own sinful human will. But He has revealed Himself to us because He loves us. Because his steadfast love endures forever. And just that in itself should move us and cause us to bend the knee in thankfulness, especially when you take a look around at the world around you. Thank God that there is order. Thank God that he is sovereign over it all. Even though sometimes it may seem like there's no order, there is indeed order. That God knows better than we do. That God's ways are not our ways. And every election season, we can say amen to this, I'm sure. And I know we're Reformed, I know we're Presbyterian, we're the frozen chosen, but we can say amen to God being sovereign over all things. We can rest in that fact that God is in control and that Christ, no matter who is elected or not elected, Christ is still on his throne and he will be forever. A common question asked by the world is, well, what's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? Why should I be thankful? What is the meaning of life? In all this chaos, is there any meaning at all? And again, we good Presbyterians have the answer, that the meaning to life or the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But then we may go on, well, how do we do that? And as good Presbyterians, we respond that the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us on how we may glorify and enjoy him. And to continue on to the third question of the catechism, what do the scriptures principally teach? And they teach that what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. God's revelation is in itself an act of provision for us. But it is also a gateway by which we can know who God is. And this revelation is made complete and full in the person of Jesus Christ. Just about every culture and people, at least in the ancient days, nowadays we have a bunch of atheists. But throughout history, every culture and people had a deity, a certain god or gods that they would worship. And these people and cultures would give thanks to their god or gods in some way or another... But there is no true thankfulness unless we recognize the true and the living God. Because these other gods, they're false gods, these idols, can do nothing for us. They provide nothing for us. They provide nothing to us. They do not bless us. Only the true and living God can do those things. No other God is worthy of our thanks. No other God is good. And no other God endures, has endured, or will endure forever because there is No other God. Until you recognize Christ as Savior and as Lord, there is no true thankfulness. In Scripture, Christ is revealed as the Creator, 
If we look at 1 John, it says in the beginning, or not 1 John, if we look at the Gospel of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And God has indeed revealed himself to us through creation. If we look at Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. Christ is the object of our thankfulness because he is God in the flesh, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who provides for us the one who is worthy of our thanks, and he is the one who is good and endures forever. As the sustainer, we have the Spirit who abides in us. 1 John 4.13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his Spirit. And these are similar words that Jesus used that John recorded in his gospel of abiding in him and he in us. I am the vine, you are the branches. We know that when Christ ascended, he then sent the Holy Spirit... Romans 15 gives mention that the Holy Spirit is what assures us of the hope that is inside us with joy and peace. And through the sanctifying power of the Spirit, we, as believers, are being conformed into the image of Christ. This greater picture that God has not left us to ourselves, but through his revelation of Jesus Christ and his work and sacrifice on the cross, we are brought into a relationship with God forever no longer identifying with our sins, but with Christ as our Savior. So this is where true thankfulness starts, that we're not spiraling down an unknown life where nothing is certain, but God has revealed himself to us, and not only revealed himself, but has given us clear picture of how we are to worship him and honor him. We know what pleases God and what does not, because the Bible tells us, Even Muhammad said that he did not know if he was going to make it to paradise on the day of his death because it was all based around the mood of Allah on that day at that time. It was unsure. But church, because of God's revelation to us, we can know for certain where we will be on that day when it comes because God has called us and he has drawn us to himself. Now, God's provision We see how God provides for us in his revealed word. But turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 25. It says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, 
in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Aren't these comforting verses? God knows our needs. Right now, my daughters are in that phase where they only know a few words, and they're not really anything that has any kind of significance other than just being cute. And so when they want something, they just tend to squeal or just try and take it from you. So my wife and I are trying to ta- teach them please and thank you and you know, use the sign language for those certain things before they can say them. But when we give them something or when they want something, we are their providers. We are trying to teach them thankfulness and gratefulness as we provide for them. But we are limited in our provision for our children. God is not limited in his provision for us. In fact, God provides for all of his creation, and his care for his creation reflects his goodness in his provision. God makes provision for things that are not made in his image, but humans are made in the image and likeness of God. We have great value, and we have great worth, and God provides for us. This doesn't mean that hardships will not come. That's not what this is saying. God may provide food for a deer one day, and then the next day the deer is God's provision of food for a lion. So troubles may come, but think of the persecution of the church throughout church history. Think about Paul and his imprisonment, and eventually led to his execution. If the prosperity gospel is true, and God only blesses you by showing you an easy life, God hated Paul. Because of his troubles. But we know Paul was one of the most faithful people to ever live on this planet. And then think of Christ himself. So there are hardships and trials in this life. But even within those hardships and trials, God provides. We are assailed on all sides by different temptations. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But in all these, God has equipped us. 1 Corinthians 10.13 gives you a very clear statement of the way that God provides. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. God provides the way of escape. And in this, you see the sustaining power of God, that his loving kindness endures forever, and in his love for you, provides for you a way of escape and endurance. God's provision for us goes beyond the worldly and the physical. You need to think outside the box, so to speak. Spurgeon says this, You cannot say that Jesus Christ ever troubled his head about what he should eat or what he should drink. His meat and his drink consisted in doing his Father's will. It goes beyond just God's provision for our food and our drink or our shelter and clothing. Jesus modeled this when he was in the wilderness at the beginning of his earthly ministry. 
When he was led into the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil. Turn these stones into bread. Uh, throw yourself off the top of this, the, the temple, lest you strike your foot upon a stone. Or bow down and worship me, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. But Christ endured, and Christ used the revelation of God, the scripture, the word of God, to counter these temptations. You shall not live by bread alone. Do not put your Lord God to the test. Your focus should go beyond the physical world and the physical needs that will eventually pass away. The benefits of God's provision are made clear to the Christian, but in certain ways can be given to the non-believer as well. The rain falls upon the just and the unjust. Though they do not thank God for that provision given, it is still given. You serve as a witness to the world in thankfulness and recognition of God's provision for you. And thirdly, God's forgiveness of our sins and the salvation that comes with that should also move us in a spirit of thankfulness. 1 John 1.9 gives us the assurance of the forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If God is good, God cannot lie. This is a promise given to us. The world likes to think it has some sort of connection with God whether it's by their own faulty religious practices or through meditation or whatever it may be. But the bad news is that because of sin, we are all separated from God. God is light, and in him there is no darkness, and sin is darkness, and in it is no light. This is where all human beings are left without Christ. But we, as Christians, are saved from our sins and the wrath of God. And this should pull us and drag us into thankfulness. But as I said with our daughters, we have to teach thankfulness. We have to teach gratitude. It's not part of our sinful nature. Uh, if you never teach thankfulness or gratitude, I don't know if anybody would ever say thankful or thank you to somebody. And I think of uh, the movie, it's called Batman Begins. And after Batman saves the day, he saves Gotham, he's about to do his famous jump off the roof and fly away kind of thing. And Commissioner Gordon says, wait, I never said thank you. And Batman turns to him and says, you'll never have to. And then he does his jump. And, of course, this illustration, like all illustrations, falls short because God does command us to be thankful to him. But when we are put in a position, we do, if we are taught, have this natural pull of thankfulness. If we're standing out in the middle of the street and a truck is coming and somebody puts their own life at risk and pulls us away or jumps in front, we would, hopefully, be filled with a sense of thankfulness for that person and what he or she did for us that they sacrifice their own life to save yours. How much more thankful should we be to God for saving us from our sins? And we do have this picture of a truck coming on when you save somebody, but God, Christ has saved us. Christ did sacrifice his life to save yours. And on the cross, Christ took upon himself all the sins of the world. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Those who are in Christ, who are washed and saved, are no longer identified with their sin, but with Christ. Pastor John MacArthur says, God treated Christ on the cross as if he lived your life, my life, so that he could look at you and me as if we lived Christ's. And if you truly recognize the sin in your life, how sinful you truly are, this is the most humbling truth. 
Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? This should bring us to our knees in worship and thanksgiving, knowing that our sins are forgiven, that Christ took them upon himself, because it is in the forgiveness of sin that we are united to God. To go back to the Christmas season, I'm sure that many of us will be singing these words very soon. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And without forgiveness of sins, there can be no unity with God. There can be no reconciliation. And the great mercy of God is him not giving us what our sins deserve, realizing we have a sin debt that cannot be repaid by anything you do, but that Christ in his perfect life and work, his death and resurrection, paid that price for you. No matter how spiritual you are, no matter what good things you have done in your life, there is no unity without forgiveness, and forgiveness only comes through the finished work of Christ. And let us never recover from this humble blow to our egos and, in, and recognize this fact, fact and extend forgiveness to others as well. Ephesians 4.32, instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, graciously forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has graciously forgiven you. And you should model this, the thankfulness you have of being forgiven and extending it to others. There was a time a while back where, I can't remember the exact details of it, but uh, me and my wife were hanging out with somebody, and, and she made some sort of comment about something that was done to me, and I said, well, it's no big deal. And she said something along the lines of, well, I would be really mad. Why don't you let things really get to you? And she said, I would be so bitter. And I just said something along the lines of, well, I just I don't have time for bitterness. I can't really bring myself to that. And not to build myself up in any way, but it was recognized by somebody who is not a Christian that we as Christians don't necessarily have to dwell on certain things. Things happen to us, and we deal with them, but we don't seek revenge. We don't go out to try and make somebody else's life miserable when they do something to us, but that we have this idea that we forgive others. Now, if somebody doesn't ask you for forgiveness, I don't know if we're required to give it, but we can choose to do so if we want to. But for Christians, we do. We give forgiveness when it is asked. God's provision in Revelation points us to the person and work of Christ, our own need for him as our Savior, the only way for our sins to be forgiven, all cause for thankfulness, and now the result of it all. If you are in Christ, you have a promise eternal life with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. His loving kindness endures forever and ever. God in his loving kindness sustains us in salvation for eternity. And this salvation is found in Christ and him alone. For for there is no name in heaven or on earth by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the God-man, God in the flesh, the one who lived the perfect life, died the death that you and I deserve, and was raised to life and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. All glory, all honor, all praise to him forever. He is the object of our thankfulness. He is the source of our salvation. And it is for these reasons that we worship and pour out our praise and thankfulness to him who is seated on the throne. 
It's not because we're afraid to go to hell. Hell is a horrible place beyond our capacity to understand. But our draw to Christ should not be because we just don't want to go to hell. That is simply just wanting to escape the consequences of our sin. Run to Christ because you recognize his provision, the truth of his revelation, and the free offer of forgiveness that is provided. When we repent of our sins, we can be assured that we are indeed forgiven and sealed. 2 Corinthians 7.10 warns us of false repentance. For godly sorrow produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but sorrow of the world, or produces a repentance leading to salvation, but sorrow of the world brings about death. So don't hear this today and think that we can go about sinning and then say, our, say we're sorry, sin again, say we're sorry again. That's not true repentance. Flee from sin. Run from sin. Throw yourselves at the foot of the cross of Christ and see what he has done for you. See the price that was paid on your behalf and worship him. Be thankful that you were chosen, not because of anything you have done, not because you deserve it, but because God in his great mercy and kindness is good and his everlasting love chose you for his own glory. Thankfulness is a mark of a true Christian, one who recognizes the providence of God, how he has revealed himself to you, forgiven you, and has called you to eternal life and salvation. This is just scratching the surface of all the things that are worthy of our thankfulness. And this salvation is everlasting. The sustaining loving kindness of God endures forever. And in Christ, we will truly spend this eternity in thankful worship to our Savior. We will truly live out Psalm 118, where we give thanks to the Lord because he is good, because his steadfast love endures forever and ever. And when you take these things and apply them to your life, your life will be a model of thankfulness to the world around you. We've been taken care of by a great God whose loving kindness is everlasting. So let us give thanks to the Lord always, for only he is truly good, and only he is truly worthy of our thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for all you have done for us. But not only that, but just because of who you are. Lord, we know that we fall short. We know that our thankfulness to you is not what it should be. But we are thankful to you that you have made a way in your Son that we can be and are forgiven. Lord, help us day by day to recognize our need for you and our dependence on you. Help to recognize that even in the bad days, there is always a reason to be thankful. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our only Savior. Amen.